Okay, this is a, a test. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Testing one, two, one, two, three, and so on. With James Schramko and Joel Osborne. With James Schramko and Joel Osborne. Shocking. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Unapologetically hypeless and heartfelt. This is Kicking Back with James Schramko and Joel Osborne. This is episode three. Is that it? That's it. That's okay. like, yeah, like uh, I, I was waiting for the intro music. I'm kind of like the, the the sit back, let it all happen, and then just sort of step in when I'm ready to yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> I like that. It's like a smooth, you know, we we it's a slow roll to get this thing started. It's like you know, sometimes you have a two people and they're always fighting for the the attention or the mic. Uh, we're, just we're, we're comfortable. Chill. Yeah. It, it is kicking back after it, all. It is. And we finally got a, a name for our show. Yes. By episode three. We've done well. It could have gone on a lot longer. Yeah. It was uh, yeah, phone calls and emails backwards and forwards, trying to figure out what we were going to call the show. You've got a lot of names in the in the vault. You know, too of, many. Too many. Too many domain names. Very, yeah. And it's tempting to go and grab something. My first main podcast, we made up a name, which was really easy. It was like $9. $9. It was <laughs> Freedom Ocean. And, of course, no one would want that domain anyway. <laughs> and then the next show was quite straightforward. I was just building that off an existing site that I already had. And then the third yeah. one was a domain that I'd registered years ago, like 2007 or something, and it, and it was called Think, Act, Get. And I really liked this idea because I'd been learning about behavior, about this ABC. It's activator, behavior, consequence. So like activator, you're thirsty. Behavior go to the Coke machine and put a coin in, hit the button, consequence, the Coke can pops out. Mm-hmm. So it taught me a lot about the, the sequencing of, you know, what you, what you get is a result of how you think and then how you behave. So I thought think, act, get really summarizes that in a succinct thing. And that podcast at the, what, just past one year at the time of recording this has been wildly successful. Mm-hmm. People get it. They resonate with the idea. So Coming up with the next podcast was like, okay, what have we got in the cupboard that I might have thought was just genius years yeah. ago that we could use? And there how wasn't many, that much. <laughs> how, many, how many are there? How many? Because there was a lot. We, we spent uh, quite a while. It was like a massive scroll. About I mean. 1,700. Yeah. And the first yeah. thing you did was calculate the renewals at 10 bucks each yes. per year. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of frightening in a way. But there are some gems in there. Mm-hmm. And, and this podcast really deviates from my usual stuff, which is very businessy, and we deliberately wanted to go down the general sort of just have a discussion path. Obviously, you're a, a comedian. I say that obviously because everything you say is funny, like all the time, yeah. as as you'd expect with comedians. We couldn't really be just straight comedy because I'm not funny. Uh, so we've we needed you have something. Your moments. I do have yeah. uh, mainly when I'm just ripping off one of your gags, which we <laughs> spoke about in the last episode. Is uh, I'm just happily recycling some of your best work. Sure. sure. Mostly when you're not there, so yeah. you never know. And how's the reaction? Do you do it justice? Yeah, I think I think. Look at the minimum. My kids are getting a better standard of dad joke. Right. You know, because you know I've just lifted my game a bit. Mm-hmm. Hanging around with a funny person is it's got its payoffs. My friend Sean, who I, I worked with for years and years and years in the Mercedes-Benz industry, he's now a comedian. Oh, right. He just, he just did a school, put on his first show, and I think that was one of his lines. I just ripped it off right then, you see. Yeah. And to give him justice, I'm crediting him. But for his first show, I actually emailed him and said, did you really make up all these jokes? And he goes, yes. And they're actually pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the clip. No. I shared it with a mutual friend of ours, right, right. Minimalist Michael. Right, yes. So going back to the, the domains, was that a good sort of loop? Not nice, yeah. nice link. So going back Segways, to the domains. very important in comedy. One of our favorites was verylongdomainname.co.com. I like that one. Because when I went online, everyone said, you've got to have short domains. I'm like, screw that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm having the longest one I can find. And I registered lots of cheeky domains like that, like click here for hosting, like really in your face, tell people what to do in the domain. Mm-hmm. We ended up thinking that we were going to use a different one called Tim Shadow, 
Com. We, we created a whole backstory with it. That was that was like a major. He was a major part of the first the first episode. It was huge, and, and then his part got cut. He did like did. he got completely well, edited well, out. The whole the whole theory. We're going to get a creative background to this. So Tim's shadow. That was his show, and you and I, James, were merely guests on the show. And Tim never shows up, so we have to. We just get get rolling with it. Yeah, just take take it over. And we were going to do that for every episode, and we, Tim would give us locations to go to, which would put us in compromising position. What do you think? Do you think someone's going to, like, comment on our show notes, you know, you should have run with that, it would have been a lot funnier than yeah, the Yeah, well, I, you know, we, we were loving the idea because it was, you know, a unique concept, but then we thought, is everyone else going to really warm Will they get it? Yeah. Like, it's, it kind of felt to me like it's one of those ones where you're in the moment, it's like the funniest thing ever, it's super hilarious, yes. but no one else gets it and no. it, it falls on its face. Yeah. So we had timshadow.com. We, we had an even a, an avatar in mind with a big shadow Him casting. In the background, yeah, an omnipresent and figure. I thought it was really fun and it was completely different to what everyone else is doing. But but I guess we were kind of taking a back seat. And, and deep down, we want a lot more fame up front than that, don't we? <laughs> we want to put ourselves <laughs> we in. Tim stealing all of our thunder. They're like, That's was, right, this yeah. bastard. Yeah, everyone going to the Tim Shadow show for a guy that doesn't even exist and we're pumping all this effort into promoting him. So we sent off the raw recording, you know, to our studio mm-hmm. uh, for editing. Yeah. Uh, by studio, I mean uh, uh, Titai, <laughs> our editor. And we said just any mention of Tim, just cut him, just like yeah. gut him, stick him with the knife. He's out. He's out of the show. He was too demanding. I know. It's very rude. I wonder like, how Tim's going to take this. He wanted blue Skittles. Yeah. I don't think they even come in blue. I mean, that's how ridiculous yeah. the demands were. And we just thought, we'll go it alone. But but in the background, we thought, what would be an awesome name? What would be like the most cliche, done to death, everyone's got a show around it? And we thought, kicking back. Kicking back. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. But of course, the domain was gone. It's yes. all good domains, all good two-word domains. Like this, I think you even said it. There's no good ones left. Yeah, because we had a heap that we were going through, and they were all gone. Gone, like, all, all yeah. of them. So, and I said, "Don't worry about that, Joel. Don't worry. I've got a plan." I, I, I get, I get an email from you. It says it was late at night, and it says it was, it was over three grand, three and a half grand, or something that they wanted for this domain name. And I thought. Well, I actually replied saying I don't think Tim would, Tim Shadow would approve of this expenditure. Yeah, so I went to bed and I thought the idea had been put to bed. And next day, I'm talking to you on the phone. Sure enough, you've gone and bought it. We got it. We got it. And I didn't pay the the three and a half thousand. I I put in place the practice that that I'd utilised, which I'd sort of built up over 1,700 domains. <laughs> to, you know, there was a benefit for all you're of this. You're going to have these guys on speed dial, right? Well, I have bought a few domains from these guys, and there is definitely an art to it. And the rule of thumb is that you'll generally pick up a domain for around about half the asking price. And, and long term, I think a good domain like Kicking Back, no matter how badly we destroy it with our podcast, mm-hmm. is still valuable to somebody in the future because it is a good domain. So just on base asset value, it was worth what we bought it for. And by we, I mean I yes. paid for it, but that's fine. And uh, not that we're counting or no, keeping no, a scorecard or whatever. But the thing is, it's worth investing up front for something you believe in and you think is good. And there's a reason it was taken and there's a reason they, they wanted a little bit of money for it is that basically it's a good domain. So we hope that it is everything to you that it is for us. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've been going through the process of getting the artwork and the intros and outros and stuff. It's kind of fun putting together a show. We get to find out who really is the most pedantic fusspot of the two of us mm-hmm. and how much we have vested in the, the future of this show and, and mm-hmm. it's been a fun sort of exploration. Now, now I was... Just going back to the purchasing of this domain name, I was interested in when you were explaining to me how you went about, because you just said, yeah, you got it for less than half the price. Yeah, it's like $1,500. Yeah, but but I'm like, all right, how did this happen? So you call up the guy, the guy's like, hi, how you doing? Well, we called up and they had a voicemail. Initially, yes. Yeah, so I just filled in the online form, Mm -hmm. interested in this domain. Right. Then you get the usual spiel, which is like an auto-can email, it's like, yeah, you know, domains are really valuable. They're going up in value. The this premium domains, high, blah, high blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you want to be quick because they get sold all the time, all yeah. this sort of crap. Up to 1,700 of them. Yeah, <laughs> I like I get the hang of it. But in other words, 
we're desperate to sell this thing. God, yeah. if you could, if you're really a serious buyer, we'd, we'd step over broken glass to talk to you. <laughs> so the next thing you know, they send you the price, and it's three and a half thousand dollars or whatever. And you reply back, and you say, or actually, don't reply back at all. You wait till they call you. That's right. the next thing. They ring you. Yeah. They ring you. Hey, just calling you. We're interested. So he in- calls up. He goes, Hey, you know, yeah. I'm. Where is he from? America. Hey, James, how you doing? I'm uh, calling about that domain name, kickingback.com. Now, I've got uh, a guy, another guy on the line right now who's very interested. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not like, it's not quite that boiler room, you know, Jordan <laughs> Belfort level. It's, they basically leave it up to you to tell them how much you desperately need that domain. Right. And unfortunately for him, we'd already settled on Tim yeah, Shadow. You were already set on Tim Shadow. Yeah. So you, you, you didn't really even care to have. You didn't know at that point that we were going to. If you go want with something, it. the best thing you can do is create competition for it by mm-hmm. coming up with your next scenario. Right. So we'd moved on. I'm like, dude, I've moved on. I, I tried your phone number. There was no answer. Yeah. I've got uh, Tim Shadow who's wanting. We've to do already a with we've me, already committed to this amazing premise. You won't believe yeah. it. It's like this guy doesn't show up, and I went. I and he's like, man, play. you got Tim Shadow. <laughs> you doing a podcast with that guy? Oh Did my you, god, yeah. do you know him? Do you want to swap? Do you want to... No, he didn't really. I'm like, we've, we've sort of moved on. We've committed to a new thing and we've even sent off for the sound imaging. That's mm-hmm. the professional name for the yes. intro and outro. And we've got artwork underway, so I think it's too late. Mm-hmm. And I said, and, and besides that, we didn't think it was worth anything more than about a 1000 bucks, maybe 1500 at a pinch. And he goes, would you buy it if it was 1500 And I said, I'd buy it today on the basis that we might use it, but... Beyond that, it's gone. Like it's just going to vaporize and go into the distant night and never be an option for us. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, within an hour, I had a buy link for 1500 So what he does, he gets off the line, he goes back to his customer and he says, I've got this red hot customer. Like it's, it's almost even too late now. It's a miracle that they would even consider it because they've moved on. And I know, and they'll say, Well, do you think you could? Get two and a half thousand? Do you think you get three? I can tell you right now, it ain't going to happen. You made that Not clear. this guy. I made this very mm-hmm. clear. I also said, I've bought a lot of domains from you. You might want to look up, and I rattled off the other ones I'd bought from them. Very long domain name.com. No, I didn't buy <laughs> like, that. Do you know how long I was sitting on that thing, man? I've been trying to move that. Well, that's a classic $9 domain. But obviously, now that we've talked it up, it's worth a lot more than that. Yes. No, I bought things like Speed Dash, and I bought one from my designer, the guy who did our t shirt, Greg. Studio1.com because he had this crappy one like studio-1-com.wizzywack.au or whatever. Like yeah. no one would even remember it. Yeah. So if you're constantly giving them good custom, they know that you're not messing around and they just get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be good if everyone could just cut to the chase? Mm-hmm. If they could just get to the punchline in life? Save a lot of time. What would happen if your show took like three minutes to deliver? Well, you know, there's some comedians that, that just, it's just the pure joke. Someone like Stephen Wright, you know, he'll, he'll cut all the fat out of a joke and he'll just go straight, straight from the setup to the punchline, you know, and, it, and it's, it's brilliant, you know, the brilliant ideas where you compare him to someone, say, like a, a Billy Connolly that will be a long, drawn out. Like my dad. Know. Yeah. He gets up at a beefsteak and burgundy club meeting. Mm-hmm. And all his mates are there, all his peer group, and he gets up there and he starts this long delivery and set up for the joke. And he gets to the punchline and then he pauses and we're all like hanging and then he goes, oh, I've forgotten the punchline. Oh, no. <laughs> and he oh, that's the sits, worst. sits down and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, Dad, that's like just just – Basically, just jump out of the plane. Yeah, you got feedback on the mic so and he puts it down. Is that bad if the joke delivery is so long, You by the time you get there, you've forgotten? <laughs> Unless it's done in an ironic way, yeah. It so wasn't ironic. It was no. just like, I don't think we got it out of him in the end. Yeah, that was like on, on, the, on the cruise comedy festival afloat. You know, on this um, cruise ship that I was on the weekend. You make it sound glamorous. I know, I know. It's, were you the only act? No, there was a bunch of other comics that were on. And we had to... We had to to host, not host, um, judge, a gong show. And so we're... Was this like actual punters on the yeah, ship? Yeah, getting up. Oh, so, no. But this is one part. Like, you know, we all do our own act different nights and there's a gala show that we're performing. But this was like in an afternoon in the main showroom with uh, 
punters getting up off the ship. Are they like yeah. professional punters who target these things and, and do it to really, like, their little version of Australia's Got Talent or something? Uh, they weren't on this ship. <laughs> it's like, no. it was the other ship. Yeah. I don't know where those people what was the best? What was the best one? There was an old guy that got up and he was really endearing, you know, and he was doing jokes that took forever, but you just like to listen to him talk and he was... Yeah, and there, there was another lady who actually had material. She was up there like... She'd done it at a Rotary Club, this material before, but she got up and she was good, you know, she was really endearing. Then there was this other one where... This lady got up with a... Because they put... Every time you get back to your room on these cruise ships, they've made out of towels like a monkey or a... Oh, or the a, towel? Like a giraffe. Yeah, I had like on the, in the Nile in Egypt, I had a, a crocodile. Yeah, yeah. And, they put, like, and if you leave your sunnies in the room, they put it on. Yeah. Like, yeah. You get, you know, it's a little surprise each time you get back to your, your room. You got different, different, a different animal each day. And this lady had brought the elephant and she decided to do like a ventriloquist act with the elephant. But the elephant just whispered in her ear. So she never actually was doing any ventriloquism. And then she would say what the elephant's saying and then listen again, but get confused and put the elephant up to the mic. And then she would go to talk and it was just really bad. And then she got to the whole end of it and there was no punchline for the joke. She forgotten. And I thought how ironic that an elephant would forget the punchline to a joke because you know? an elephant never forgets exactly. so it was kind of genius but yeah yeah but a, a miss you know and it was you know uh, i often see people like that and i think do they know do they do they actually know how whack job they are i don't think they do there are some comedians that will get up on stage and just take it big time you know they just die a horrible death and they come up going, oh yeah that was all right you know, and oh, so that, so, do you, is got, there a pecking order with the other comedians on the boat? Like you, you're trying to, you know, like group dynamics where you have the the forming, and then yeah. the, the next stage is storming, where you're working out who's the better comedian of all the comedians. Like who's really the boss dog, well, top dog comedian? Well, here, here's the thing: it depends. Like you know, different comedians have you know different approach, you know, and different styles. And it's interesting seeing on the cruise ship the style that works best. Is not necessarily the style that I warm to, you know. What is it like, cheesy, misogynistic smut? Because <laughs> you're more like, you know, values driven and heartfelt. That's what they even made it into our show logo. Although there was a concern there with the, one of the original artworks. It had us looking at each other. We were, we were, we were. Okay, heartfelt and homosexual. You said it, but um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm. I'm not a homosexual. No, nor am I. Yeah, but, so I, I, but I would be proud to say if I was, but I'm not. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. But, but no, the photo was you and I kicking back. You weren't wearing any shoes. But and, I don't wear and, shoes. So no, I'm not wearing I, I, shoes I, now. No, I know. Like true to character. Yeah, right? It was true to character. But, you know, you couldn't, like, you know. <laughs> you, you can tell from okay, the photo you're just... definitely wearing a shirt. That's <laughs> So your legs are kicking up on the on the. See, table. I think nothing of of bare feet. I, I thought it was weird when we had two versions. You said, I like the one where you're wearing socks. I'm like, what, what does he mean by that? You got like a sock fetish or you, you like the more formal? No, no, of the no, no, no. I just thought it was like the, ah. the, the, no, the angle, the, the body, the, the gotcha. angles of the body, well, we, you know, the, got the shot eventually. where you were wearing the socks, the angle of the body. No. <laughs> so the, anyway, the artwork you see We were now. looking in each other's eyes, basically. <laughs> it was like Lady and the Tramp, you know, animated Disney, you know, where we were just like, our heads were back and we're like looking, our heads were tilted towards each other, looking eye to eye. And that's, you know, that's cute. That's nice. But I just thought, you know, I, I don't know if that, like with heartfelt it's, it's and better to straighten and it out. Setting, better to know? straighten it out in the, in the pre-work. So. Yes. So we had, uh, it's like a collage of the designers. One designer's positioning, the other designer's pictures. All mashed together with the third designer's, you know, review of of the show font and yeah. and you know we get our name and stuff. Sure. It's what people look at in the iTunes charts. Mm -hmm. Feel free to to put a comment next to our show in iTunes. By the way, just a gentle little suggestion there. Sure. Or, or comment on the artwork. We might even read it out. That's something that that's fun to do is to read out the comments and then to we can critique our critiquers because yes. there's no actual facility for us to reply to the comments in iTunes. So we can just read them out and talk about how we feel about it. Uh, I think some, that's a good idea. Sometimes they're hurtful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're honest. Sometimes they make you feel good. But we're, we're all about freedom of speech here, so we will put up whatever you send in. <laughs> I wonder what Arnie would think. Arnie. Arnie, short, I, I finished the book. The Did epic you? book. Right, so we had yeah. our like partially completed book review section in, in, 
<laughs> of the partially completed section of the book review. I've, you know, I found this nice hack. And if, if you're using Kindle, you just pull up the highlights and see what everyone else highlighted. It's just like points you straight to the gold. Mm. I've been reading about lean analytics. There's something completely different. Yeah, pray tell. Well, it's like if you want to start a business, there's this stuff that you want to pay attention to, like stats and stuff. And it just shows you a few cool graphs and which things are really important. And, you know, most people look at you as if you have two heads. Mm -hmm. But, for you know, if you're in a software market or you're doing startups or any of these buzzy things, uh, these are like really sexy terms. It's like their own little codec or buzzwords that the industry uses, like uh, minimum viable product and build, measure, learn loops and stuff. I think we just lost half our audience. Yeah, you just lost me. Well, like, well let's yeah. get back to Arnie. We can yes. understand him. <laughs> now, but you, you put everything into a Kindle now. But I see you got a lot of books lying around. Like you, you, well, no, you, when you say a lot of books, it's like six. Yeah. In my garage, there's like 10 boxes. I have uh, 1,500 books down there. Yeah. You know, and I just wedge my car in between. So <laughs> you park at a library. I'm, like I used to love physical books and the... The, there was this moment where I switched to electric and I and I got it. And I'd already done a blog post about how there's more Kindles sold than, like more e-books sold than real books mm. last year or whatever. But now I have this iPad mini retina and I just jam it full of books and I can take it with me. I can read it at night without a light, you know, a little torch stuck yeah, to yeah, your yeah, forehead. Yeah. Like, yeah, like a miner. I saw this guy in the movie All Is Lost uh, with Robert Redford and it was just him, the whole movie. And uh, I think they trashed three boats making it. It was him for the whole movie. There's like one sentence of dialogue. And in the in there, he had a little light and he's reading his book with his light. And I think if he had a Kindle, he would need the light. He would have been done. When, when was the film set? It's like current day. Oh, okay. And, you know, he's, it was actually a pretty good film. Like Castaway, but on, on a boat. It was. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, just things just get from bad to worse. Like everything that can go wrong must go wrong. That's one of the premises of like, the storylines. Like gravity with blue bottles. It was gravity on a boat. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, if you're not in a science, if you're not a, like an astronaut buff or a buff astronaut, yeah. uh, take it either way, <laughs> then I think it's a better film. Right. Because it's a little more believable and you can relate to, gosh, what would I do if this happened to me? But anyway, the moment where I switched to electronic was when I bought the Steve Jobs book by Walter Isaacson, which is a fascinating book. You just didn't want to carry the book that size around with you. Well, you're kind of preempting me because I was at the airport. Well, before the airport, I was at home and I had the, I bought the book. It's a big, thick, heavy book. It's a very expensive book. Like, I don't know, outrageous. It was like... I don't know, it was $40 or something. It's really expensive. But anyway, I was there looking at it and thinking, I'm going to catch a plane. I'm on the way to the Philippines. I can watch two movies, have my routine, you know, my, my champagne, my meal, my gin and tonic, my dessert wine, a red wine, and just basically alcohol there. No rum. We yes. talked about that. And watch a couple of movies and then I'm there. So maybe I'll just leave the book behind because I'm going to be working when I'm there and, you know, doing team meetings and stuff. And so I left it. But then when I got to the airport, I checked in. I'd gone to the business lounge. I was walking to the plane, and I saw it on the bookshop right there, right right next to the gate. And I thought, screw it. I'm going to buy another copy. So I bought another copy and hopped on the plane. I read a bit on the plane. I was really into this book. It's one of those few books I can't put down. Mm. And I got to the Philippines. I put it down on the coffee table there, and I was doing my team meetings. And I noticed one of the girls in my team just kept eyeing off this book. And then in our break, she'd pick it up and start reading through. And then she got stuck into the book. Like, she couldn't put it down either. And I'm like, I have the book. Just have it. Like, you know, $40 to us is like $400 in the Philippines. It's like 10 to 1. I'm like, just have the book. And just promise me you'll read it. That was all I asked. And, like, if you know me, like, I'm a book Nazi. I hate to give away my books. I'm really possessive about it. And, Mm. And I'll tell you about something that a friend of mine did. Later, that changed my belief on that too. But, you know, it's a big deal for me to give it away. But knowing that I had one at home was kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you had already harvested half yeah. of the Amazon. That's in it. I got, you know, I got two. All right. So I left it there. And then I get to the airport and I go hunting for the bookshop in, in Manila. <laughs> and do you think they're going to have a copy of this in the Philippines? You know, the, the, the Nina, Nina Akwoi airport? No way. It's a tiny little airport. Yeah. So I'm sitting there with my iPhone in the Qantas Business Lounge, which is, 
got to be the shittiest business lounge you've ever seen in your life. Like it's no offense, Qantas, you do a great job everywhere, but your business lounge in, in the, the Philippines, it's horrid. Well, like, but did, didn't have any of the standard hors d'oeuvres uh, and yeah, look, it's got beer and pasta, but it's just shitty old furniture. It's just tiny. There's one little bathroom. It's just you know, and half no the shower. people there have have like dehydration and a bit of runny belly. But anyway, no, it's not like you know, it's like if you think business lounge but third world, right. then you you start to get the picture. Anyway, it's probably better locker rooms in a rugby club out out in the back suburbs of Sydney. But anyway, I've, I'm there and I think, you know what, I'm going to get onto Amazon and I'm going to download the Kindle version of this book because I'm just like, I'm three quarters through it, I'm addicted to it and I've got an eight hour midnight flight to, to, to get to Sydney and I downloaded it. And then when I got home, the weirdest thing happened. I pulled it up on my iPad and I'm sitting there with the book and the iPad next to each other and I keep picking up the iPad because I can plug in my headphones, I can listen to some music and uh, I can read it in any lighting conditions and it's much lighter and I could just touch the page and turn the page and I'm like, shit, it's happened. This is the moment. I've, I've crossed just, over. I've crossed over to, and I'm like, I thought I'm a physical book guy. And from that moment, when I want a book, I just order the Kindle. If they don't have the Kindle, I don't even bother with it unless someone gives me a book generally. Well, that's not entirely true. There is a little warm bookstore down here in Manly, and every time I walk past, I see some cool stuff, and I and I'll quite often buy a book. I bought a Manly pictorial book. I noticed. I like. I got the yeah. equivalent on Balmain. Yeah, because I want to know the history of it, and I found some fascinating things in there. And I bought a book on mythology, a big, thick, heavy book, because I think that it's really important to understand that almost all the stories are exactly the same. Is it Joseph Campbell? It's not. I've got that book there as well. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're cheating. You're looking through oh, no, my no, cupboard. No, I, really? I, I missed that. No, oh, no, it is there somewhere, the, the Joseph Campbell book. But this one's this huge visual book of all the different ancient things around the world that people have held up in high esteem. So that's when I switched over. But now I have hundreds and hundreds of Kindles. Like my thing is jam-packed full of them, and I can rip through them on the, the plane. It fits in my pocket when mm. I travel. Mm. I basically take hundreds of books with me. You've got a library it's in like your pocket. It's like that stupid thing, you know, you've got all the – 30,000 songs in your pocket, as if you could listen to more than like 10. <laughs> but I do actually tend to read a book on every plane ride when I travel, and I travel most months I go overseas, and I just oodles and oodles of books. And it could be like the next thing. You know how like people used to go through the iTunes library and see what people are listening to? Mm. I reckon you could do that with people's Kindle and find out an enormous amount about them. But I have just got so many books that it really would feel – bookshelves in my office and if it ain't on kindle i'm generally not going to order it so does it affect your eyes when you're reading it do you, do no you and with the retina now yeah. it's so realistic that you can you know adjust the sepia like instead of white oh, it's going to yeah. be yellowy and but if you actually use a proper kindle and i'm using an ipad but the kindle has special special screen that has very paper-like ink they simulate ink and they set the image that's where amazon's doing a good job but I find it's quite easy to read and you can adjust the font size and, and multi-columns and turn it sideways and all this sort of stuff. It's actually really not, not that much different. Well, the, I'm still sticking with the old-fashioned paper. We'll review this cover. in episode 100 because <laughs> Joel's still a laggard. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I was shocked that you haven't even heard of Flappy Bird. No, no, I haven't. Frankly, uh, I haven't heard of that. I've heard of Angry Bird. And... Well, Flappy Bird is very famous and and even more famous now because it was a very simple game. It was not that popular when it got released in the middle of 2013. And but like a week ago, in early 2014, it got number one on all the charts. For... Now, how, how did it? I don't know. I think because it? it's so hard, people were talking about it, and. The designer of the game got so stressed out about the attention that it got and people critiquing it, both positive and negative, mm. you know, like, and he's going, no, it's it's not that famous, stop overhyping it. And, mm. you know, he was apparently making fifty to $55,000 a day in ad revenue and he pulled it from the app store. He said, no, you can't have it anymore. 
<laughs> of course, you do that. Like my kids can't really comprehend why you do that. Fifty-five grand a but day. But I think it creates more um, more buzz around it. You know, it's, it's that he story about other games. But yeah, I wonder. You know, like that really is an artistic call. I don't think he's doing it for marketing reasons. <laughs> an artistic call. I, I, I hold my art so so close. Yeah, you can't have it to anyway. my heart because I've spent a lot of time developing a bird that that bounces over pipes. It's, and it is quite difficult. It is, it is, but you know, he's, he hasn't exactly written War and Peace or Crime and Punishment here. It's a... So, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I would cop the 55 grand a day and find another way to console myself. Yeah, yeah, I, I would. Uh, I guess I, I don't know. I never, I, I tried the game once just before this podcast and I died on the first pipe. So I think you died it, before the first yeah, pipe. Yeah, I think I did. I just came a <laughs> <laughs> so, no, the, 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 it's great we're really teasing our audience because if they don't have it they can't get it yeah no, <laughs> don't worry it's you know you're not, you're not missing out on much <laughs> says it's, says tech joel so so, so this so yeah I, I i just finished this book that i actually st- well I, I we i did a different approach with this book i didn't do kindle i didn't do hard copy my mate arj barker and i were on tour and we like to listen to uh Audio books when we're ah, on, the, on the road, okay, so and books that I had read before. Then I we listened to again, like uh, Keith Richards' Life. That was the first one that we listened to, and it was read in part by Keith Richards and Johnny Depp. So you had Johnny Depp as Keith Richards, you know, doing the whole book. So you know, it's like so when I was in the band, I was uh, only a young kid, and that's a very spot on Johnny Depp impression. But unfortunately, John, Johnny Depp doesn't usually sound like Johnny Depp when he's in a film. He's always doing these Johnny outrageous Johnny Depp's like, like a half gay pirate always. Yeah, yeah. Which he used as an influence. He used Keith Richards as an influence in, in that role. A lot of those rockers were kind of androgynous, like David Bowie and that. Yeah, and Sort yeah. of chick-looking, skinny and slim and mm. long hair. It's interesting to, to see. And they, and they became so popular. I know it's like the soundtrack in Walter Mitty has David Bowie. And right. This it's, stuff's getting hip again. A whole new generation, uh, you know, I've been introducing it to my younger friends who didn't know anything about David Bowie, and it's now cool again. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, well, Bowie's, because uh, he was so different, like, he's not, you can't, and his sound was so different. You can't he was really, really running a Tim Shadow angle. Yeah, right total Tim. Well, he had Ziggy Stardust yes, as his exactly. alter ego. Yeah, and, alter egos. Yeah. I guess when someone is so different that they're kind of ageless. You know, you can listen to him now and it still holds up. Although you listen to the Stones now, they still hold up. I Kiss st- was, was an interesting band. I, I'm, I was watching one of their clips the other day. They were really outrageous in the 70s with yeah. the big, thick makeup and huge yeah, and boots. Yeah, big production and, show. You know, they mm. had like, you know, pyrotechnics. Some that. of the, the, the audience sizes were massive. Yeah. yeah so the, was the, so, it was a good book? It was great. It was, you know, he's very revealing in it. And talking about, you know, his years of drug addiction and heroin and smuggling heroin, him and Jimmy Keys getting caught in uh, Hawaii. Jimmy Keys was there. Um, Jimmy Keys! That's what... Uh, <laughs> that's what <laughs> you, can look, you can always look to kicking back for your best impression. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's Mick Jagger. Arj and I would be driving in the car and it'd be like silence for a moment. One of us would just go, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Keys! And that would be the impression of Mick Jagger in, introducing Jimmy Keys. So Jimmy was, uh, he was thrown out of the band because he was, he was in a bath full of Dom Perignon and he didn't want to get out of the bath and so they just left him there and that was... Uh, it must have been a great bath. That, yeah, yeah. And, but it, what, so he didn't so, want to get out to perform? Yeah, he was just, you know, because the drugs were just like, to Keith's credit, he, he had a whole theory about taking drugs. Like with heroin, he only, he only ever used the grade A heroin. He never had like the Mexican boots, uh, boots right, scrapings. As he called it, like he said that the low grade stuff was what you, you know, you, it was cut up with the, you know, whatever Omo, yep. and that you would end up, you know, becoming very <laughs> ill as a result. So he always had a certain amount that he'd measure out, and he would could operate and create music and record and tour on this amount. But he hasn't done heroin in thirty years. Like he's been gone cold turkey and got off of it all. But some of the stories are just. No. Well, a lot of artists don't make it, do they? They, they end up. There's uh, an actor recently drug overdosed himself. Yeah. Then yeah, there's that, the, the. Oh, that was. I was like, yeah, I was really sad to hear that. And the too. singer. There's a lot of singers, you know, get wasted or yeah. do strange things, like the in excess dude, yeah, Michael Hutchinson. Yeah. You know, like it. It must be an unreal 
life. I'm sure you well, you bump up against that on your cruise ships from time to time. I'm about to close. <laughs> <laughs> do you get, the, the, do you get people ask for your autograph? Uh, sometimes and photos and. <laughs> You know, it's <laughs> the photo it's like with a, Eric Banner. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what people are like, going, oh, yeah, can I get a photo with you, Eric? Yeah. yeah, come over here, Tom. You know, so it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to, yeah, Didn't it's kind this, of microcosm. You, you have a story about a guy that confused you twice. Yeah, it was a lady, yeah, that confused, lady. she ran after me after a gig. She runs up to me and goes, can I get a photo with you, Eric Banner? And I was just like, yeah, oh, okay. So I'm just going along with it. Then she turns to me mid-photo and goes, oh, I just loved you in Wolverine. <laughs> so so not, she, not only she mistaken me for Eric Banner, she mistaken Eric Banner for Hugh Jackman. So it's and that was and then I was on stage doing an impression of Tom Cruise. So I, you know, I was you had an totally, identity crisis. Yeah, yeah, schizophrenic in that photo. But, um, so we would listen to books on the road. There's another great book. Um, it's about Bob Evans, who was this great movie producer. He produced. He was the head of Paramount Pictures back back in the heyday, like The Godfather and Chinatown. And Marathon Man and what have you. So he was he was behind a lot of these great, great films. And he basically narrates the whole... Uh, it's, if you can get a hold of it, it's very difficult to find. But he, the audio version is actually better than the book, book version. What's it called? The Kid Stays in the Picture. Ah. And, and it's an amazing insight into the Hollywood in those years. And but it's an inspirational, you know, biography to listen to, to see how he was down and out and came back. And, yeah, it was... Uh, and... It's interesting, a common thread I see with all of these guys, they take big risks, you know, and sometimes it doesn't pay off and they end up, but then they build it all back up again. And that's, they're the stories that make it. And then a lot of the ones that, that don't make it back are not story worthy. Yeah. Because the audience don't like an unhappy ending. No, no. So it's probably still the, the smaller percentage that where there's a kick back up mm. and the large percentage are just... That's tank. it. And I've noticed, I mean, I'm surrounded by this entrepreneurial world and one of the philosophies is that real entrepreneurs, well, one of the definitions is that an entrepreneur is basically custodian of other people's money and assets, but also that they don't have to be big risk takers because, you know, we were talking about lean analytics before. You can do a lot of forecasting and testing and risk reduction through intelligent decision making and, and then you just scale and ramp up things that actually work with a lot less risk. Like once it's working... One of the final stages is called ramping or, or scaling, and that's when you take something that works and blow the shit out of it. Like, right. let's say you bake amazing muffins and everyone's asking you for them, and they're like trying to pre-order hundreds of them. You know they already work. Then you go and find a store and and set up the signage and that because you you've already got, as opposed to the dreamer who's sitting there thinking, oh, I could have a muffin store. They do it the other way, and around. they've never baked a single muffin. No one's paid them a cent for it. They go out and get the shop and then they get all the ingredients and then they cook it and like their muffins suck mm. and no one wants to buy them and they go out of business. Mm. And that's the way most people operate. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I guess it's common sense. Start with a good product or start with a good skill. Well, you know what they say talent? about common sense. It's not that common. Yeah. Like even down to baking the muffins, the minimum viable products, like the smallest sample size possible would be like just you know, make one muffin that works. And you might actually divide your mix into three different bowls and then you try cooking it three different ways to find the best muffin out of the same original bowl of mix, split down to three small mm -hmm. batch sizes. Whereas a lot of people use all the mix, destroy the mix, like it comes out bad and then they give up because mm. they ruined the whole test sample. But, so take the smallest size. So like you could even apply it to podcasts. We could take one episode put it out there, and everyone goes, this is dribble, this is crap, this is the worst assault to my eardrums I've ever heard in my life. Of course, they would never do Have that. Have you been reading the comments? <laughs> yeah, but if they did, and maybe they will, then basically we say, you know, Joel, it was a great idea, but, you know, we just don't have the, the goods. Or if we get a positive reception, we can, you know, tune in more to what people are, are liking. Sure. Then you get this but big question, like, do, how much do we want to do it because the audience love it? like reality sloppy TV, or how much do we do it because we're artistic divas well, and we want to do our thing, or yeah. can we combine them both? Well, I think, I, I think you've got to be true to who you are. You can't take market research on every... Like, I, I think from a creative perspective, you can't do market research and then bend what you do to think what the masses are going to like. I, for me, I think that a lot of people do do that and they're very successful, but you know, I, the people that I like the best in terms of music and comedians and writers... 
they do something that's more true Just to do, them. They do good they, stuff. They do good stuff, and then everything comes from that. And I was watching this interview with years ago on, on, on a plane, on a flight back from the States. There was Michael Bublé. There was like a doco about him. And, you know, I, I love, you know, the old guy, Dino, Dean Martin. And is, it a, is it French? French. Bublé. Well, he is from Canada, so it may be... French-Canadian? Yeah. Because yeah, I know you have, a, you have a bit of an affinity for French words Me, and I do. stuff. I do. Flaneur. Flaneur. That's one of my favorites. That was going to be the podcast, yeah. but they only wanted like $55,000 for the domain. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love. As cliche as it sounds, that's what you got to do when you're in Paris because it's just flaneur. And I find that's the best thing to do is walk the streets. What street. does it mean? It's someone who walks the streets and absorbs the environment and takes it in. In Australia, we got a different word for it. It's called street bum. <laughs> the French really know how to, you know. So how to... imagine if we'd like. Imagine if we'd gone to flaneur.com, It was three and a half thousand. We managed to buy the domain, yeah. and we were now broadcasting from flaneur.com. What, yes. what would the premise be there? Well, I would think you know we walk the streets and we take and we 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 have a chat and we take in the sights and so the, sounds. So and, the question and... is, should we? Do we have to kick back in our? home lab here out by the sea should we take some episodes to the streets i think we should Should we have like the kicking back flaneur series (laughs) the word on the street (laughs) so i'd love it if listeners could comment on our show notes just let us know yay or nay where would you like us to go oh my god that could be dangerous (laughs) where would you like us to broadcast from that is practically possible like you know that is if if at all or just say you know guys just just do what you're doing now. It's fine. Yeah, we end up on the do- in the dodgiest neighbourhood, getting rolled. Our audio equipment stolen. <laughs> yeah, our extensive audio equipment. Yes, it would like, yes. it'd be like our sixty-nine dollar Rode SmartLav. Yeah, and the iPhone I'd worry about. But yeah. So back to Buble. So um, yeah. So Buble, I've heard Buble sing, and you know, I, I've like, and he sounds good. You know, he's got a good enough voice. That's fine. He does tend to use the same arrangements of. What, what, what have been used in the in the past whereas someone like you know a harry connick jr who uh, i think is great you know he he writes his own arrangements if he is doing an old standard and he composes you know all of the music that he does and he's just you know as a piano player like amazing and i've seen him like three no, i've seen him like four times before live and he's like a, he's got everything you know he's like a stand-up comic he's working the crowd He's riffing like he's got like twenty minutes each time I see him. So he's like got solid. actual talent. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and he plays the drums and jumps on the jumps on the trumpet and he's up there and he's got these band is amazing too. This Lucian Barbaran, he plays the trumpet and he comes out and he's just like amazing. So for him, I feel that you know that Harry does the music that he wants to do. You know, he in the nineties when he was huge after the Harry Met Sally film. He uh, had all the, you know, the standards that had to be you, don't get around much anymore, and it was, you know, a huge following. Then he decides, you know what, I'm going to do this New Orleans funk album and just do this music that, you know, I want to do it. So he went on a whole different path, which then people were coming to his shows going, hang on, this is not the Harry that I... That and I then he goes, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care, this is, this is the music I want to make. And he made two albums like that, but then he went on, but he's gone on and done all these different, you That's know... That's kind of like the Beatles... Yeah, kind of like Led Zeppelin. You know, they went all different. They did blues. They did yeah, um, yeah. They did the, the crazy Indian adventure stuff and, and, and Kashmir and yeah, you yeah. know, like they and they did all the the rock and the heavy stuff. It was, and even now, like when I saw Plant Robert Plant last year up in Byron at the Blues Fest, as and, you did, look at your little name drop off. As you did. So I was there with Robert Plant. Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <So>, uh, Planty. <laughs> uh, so he's, you know, he's up there and he's doing all these great Zeppelin tunes, but with a whole different sound. This, you know, it's kind of a Middle Eastern sound behind some of it, and, he, and and he's great. You know, he still does it justice. He's not like hacking the the the, the classics apart. He's actually still delivering. But I got this interesting. I've been. I don't know if I've told you about this. A friend of um, Akmal's that lives up in Byron. Uh, he's got this friend Frank, and Frank's a very uh, interesting character. But he uh, he was telling me about his other friend in Byron. So this is like three degrees of separation with this. But he was a huge Zeppelin fan, and he was in America, and he was out camping. And he was just travelling around America, and he was out camping, and he had met this English guy that he was talking talking with, and they hung out for a few days, you know, chatting what have you. And his other friend was just out, and they were out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And they're sitting around a campfire and they're just, you know, riffing on tunes. 
he starts playing this guy from Byron starts playing a few Zeppelin tunes, and the other guy like corrected him on it how it's done, and then he says, "No, no, it's like this," and the other guy's like, the English guy's like, "No, no, it's you know you play it like this," and and then he's like, "Well, how can you be so sure that that's the way that you know the song goes? Have you got the tabs?" And he goes, "You know, well, that's the way I wrote it." And then he realised that he was sitting across from Jimmy Page and had been hanging out with him for the last day or so. Right, and so the drugs involved? I, I'm sure. I'm positive. <laughs> I'm sure. What a moment when yeah. you get that little, oh. A correction. And, and you, you do the little replay shit. What did I say? What What are we, you know, those moments? Yeah, where you yeah. You'd start retro playing. Who and, is this guy? And then realising, my God. This is- it's like when you're accidentally on a... Um, you wouldn't have this problem, but like you might be on a webinar or something and you suddenly realize that your screen's been on share and you think, God, what have I been doing on my screen? That yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a modern trap for corporates these days with these virtual seminars where they share each other's screens. Yeah. You know, you've yeah. got to clean up your bookmark, browser, history, yeah. your email. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> Big tip here use two screens, right? And just drag your work in front of the one that's broadcasting. Right. That was great. Uh, you know, I think I think we're coming to a close on this episode. Alrighty, but well, we still got we. You know, we we we've set up. We we've still got so much. Well, we've to, got an uh, idea, Grid. Yeah, we we're do. professionals. We, we do. We are very <laughs> professional. We rule up a post-it note into nine boxes. Yeah, and we put down a couple of things that we think would be fun to talk about. And I've covered almost none of mine, which just no, shows you. Likewise, how, how I got. I, this is the first time I've done a grid, and I yeah haven't really covered any of that. But we have. <laughs> uh, we've set up for this story that Arj and I were on the road, and we're listening, you know, to books. And I started listening to the first half of the book on podcast, and then I went to the library and I uh, got out the, uh, the second. And what uh, was the revelation? Well, it's good to listen to it. I was hoping this wasn't one of those, there's no punchlines. Because <laughs> that would have been a beautiful thread. It would have been a beautiful... Well, basically, the revelation is that I'm still sticking with hard copy and there's something about having the page and, you know, having the, you know, having the book in front of you I like. I like to walk around with a book and be able to sit down and put a bookmark you can imp- in. And you can impress people, like in the, the cafe or whatever, they well, look across. The- so, you, you know, I often see people in the airport or the coffee shop and... No, that's that's why Fifty Shades of Grey is so popular because people can secretly watch anything on a Kindle. You're not going to hold up here you know, Fifty Shades of Grey at the airport. No, like you used you used to right, not be right. able to do that. But like the digital device is so popular because people can, can look discreet. at anything. Yes, and no one knows what they're looking at. They could be looking at a Harvard Business Review, yeah. and they're reading about some girl doing something to some guy and whatever. But it is interesting when people are out there with hardcover books. It really well, is making a statement. A lady came up to me on the cruise and she saw this book that I had and it's, you know, it's like a really big hardcover book and she goes, oh, wow, look at that book. You must be very intellectual. And I went, not quite, love. It's the autobiography of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it's not. You know, what's what's not intellectual about that? Well, you know, it's... A, I thought you were going to say, fun. well, come on, you know, like... I think Richard Scarry's one of the greats. I don't know Richard Scarry. I don't know <laughs> oh, it's that. like one of these children's books. Oh, really? If you'd have known gold, that, golden book. it would have been, been hilarious. It would have been hilarious. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I'm still trying to find that damn Wally. Could you give me a hand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Waldo yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Where's Wally? Yeah, so, I, you know, so, down at the bookshop there, this this nice bookshop, they still have those Dr. Zeus books, and they're kind of classic Yeah, they books. are. They are. They're popular with adults as well now. I saw an service. exhibition years ago in Perth. Across from Her Majesty's Theatre, there was this vacant um, shop front and they had turned it into a little um, gallery of all original Dr. Zeus artworks. It was quite a quite a sight. They would fetch a, a, a pretty penny, mm. no doubt. But I like they put it into an old abandoned shop front. <laughs> but on closing, Michael Bublé. <laughs> yeah. I like I like I how we you already dismissed him with the Harry Connick power punch. No, 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 no. What I have to prove here... But see, the irony here is Harry Connick Jr. comes to Sydney and does, you know, a couple of nights at the Opera House. It's like, what, two and a half thousand people, which is good, you know. Yeah. Michael Bublé will come and do three sellout shows, 20,000 people a show at um, All Things so Arena. it's basically you want to be an artist or a commercial success and it's hard well, to be both? No, I think you can, I think, I think... Well, uh, I, got, I got one for you. Yeah. So I was there in Las Vegas with Tony Hawk, yes. you know, the world-famous skater. Yeah. And I said, Tony... At what point did people start calling you a sellout? You know, because you were like a skating legend and mm-hmm. doing your own thing, and then all of a sudden it's like 
kids now, like my kids, I say, hey, I'm going to hang out with Tony Hawk. They're like, yeah, whatever. And I'm sure he wasn't offended by that. Mm. But <laughs> he said as soon as I started selling stuff, that's when people call me a sellout. Right. As soon as he put skateboards into Walmart, he's, you know, he's no longer cool in the, in the hip club. Right. You know, and st- he starts wearing helmets and stuff and selling millions and being in games. And he does so much charity work and stuff and he's a commercial success. And, a, and he skates every day and I'm sure his lifestyle is cool. But the thing is there must be a little bit of a division between artists and commercial successes. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think... Yeah, I think that I think there is, but I think you know he's got some, he has a talent that he's just I, I don't know if exploit is a good is, a, is the appropriate word, but he's basically made the most out of you know I'm sure there's I'm sure there's plenty of other world champion skaters that are out there that are you know that aren't aren't doing that and maybe they don't have the business know how to do that or maybe they're purists in what they do or maybe they couldn't be bothered doing it, but it still takes a lot of work I think for what Tony Hawk is doing it's you know that's a full time job running that business is it on top of yeah and i guess he can choose yeah and i was watching uh, some of the uh, red bull documentaries on apple tv mm-hmm. which is uh, located near the itunes and they there was one about surfers and this top surfer his, his name's taj taj is an aussie guy and he's sort of trying to do the world title circuit plus make films he loves making films and doing amazing art he like loves watching them back and he looks amazing on these shots but then it's hard to fit that into a grueling world title thing so it's like do you go for the the world title circuit fame and money do you go for the film craft and stuff and, mm. and he somehow blends them both but it's probably hard to be the very best at at one of them if you're doing the other mm. I, th- I think you got to be clear about, I guess, what you want to do, you know, whether you want to be a businessman who puts, and that's why you're doing it, or whether you're doing it for the, the real art. Of, and if you're lucky, of, you, could, or, you could be both. Yes. And in closing, Michael Bublé, documentary, I see it on this flight, and he says, I write my music. No, he doesn't write his music, sorry. <laughs> he doesn't say this. <laughs> so just making up <laughs> attributions. He says, when I'm making an album, I do it for the fans. I think what the fans want. And he says, any artist that says they're not doing it for the fans or any musician that says that is a liar. That sounds like a load of crap. Yeah, I'm like, you try telling that to Bob Dylan, you know, who gets <laughs> up on stage and is inaudible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw and, and I still love him, you know. I, uh, people go and see Dylan like, and they go, oh, my God, like, he's, he, what's with his voice? Like oh my god, you can't. His voice—he never had a voice in the first place. You know, it's like what are they talking? And he's got this raspiness to it now. You know, instead of the nasal here in the days when I was he, now it's more like in the days when I was he. You know, and and it was you know it's appropriate. He he is adjusted and changed. Well, I think shows like this we do because we want to do it, and I, I I take pride in that and. As much as I'd love the fans to enjoy it, it's still fun for us to make. And, you know, that's really the core reason to do it. It is. <laughs> it is. And once again, we've got heaps of notes, so we'll have to do that next time. I, I, I've, I've got my, my breakdown on Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, and, we've got to come his, back and find yeah, out about that. We'll, we'll come back and find out about that. I want to know about your grand, grandfather's diaries, too. Ooh, I think yes. that's uh, that would be a good one to, uh, to touch on. Interesting one. And. We got a whole plethora of uh, big word. That's uh, the big word section. Plethora, yes, plethora. <laughs> put it in the big words, and you know we and, and stuff has happened during the week too that we. Oh, you won't believe it. You're not you going to believe it. But we're going to have to push that into next week. <laughs> All right, buddy. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of Kicking Back with James Shramko and Joel Osborne. Visit kickingback.com for the show notes, pictures, and join the discussion.